My name is Julie Lyles Carr. I'm from Austin, Texas, and yes, it's true, I have eight children. And I know your top questions. Um, we do know what causes it now, and <laughs> figured it out. Um, we do have a TV and cable. I don't know why people ask me that. When they see all the kids, they're like, do you have a television? Do you have cable? I'm like, I, what is that? But we do have TV and cable, in case you're wondering. What do I drive? Now look, I, I really don't want to bring a covetous spirit into the house of the Lord, but I have to be honest, <laughs> I drive a 15-passenger van, and I know you are all really wishing you had that kind of swagger wagon. There's a lot of techniques with a 15-passenger van that you, you learn along the way in this journey of giant family. And of course, one of my best friends who lives three doors down from me, we're running partners, our husbands are business partners, and we are kind of in and out of each other's houses. Of course God would give me a best friend who always has the perfectly clean house. She irons. I don't know how God knit our hearts together. I don't know how that happened. My house and my van make her itch. I mean, she's a hive, top to bottom. And I'm like, girl, you can come clean anytime you want. You're not going to offend me. But she watched me one day. She thought I was kidding. It was time to clean out the 15-passenger van. So here's the technique I learned in case you too want to have a 15-passenger van. You open the back cargo doors and you get a rake. And you just slide it up under the seats. And the technique's important. You put it in and then you just pull. And all of the debris field from the last... Well, I really don't keep track of how often I clean the van. It's only when I start thinking that I'm hearing mice that I clean it. But you just pull all of it, and all this debris comes out the back. It's a genius cleaning method. But my running partner, Jessica, is just horrified. The main thing that we can address for sure, because Jessica has witnessed this too, so now there's been two people who've seen it. You know the urban legend on the internet that... McDonald's hamburgers preserve perfectly. It's totally true. Totally true. I mean, I have a collection that is spectacular. They look pristine. They're like works of art. And they've been in there a really, really long time. So just you can just mark that off as something that's been proven. And you know where it came from. I can be your resource on that. But my husband, Mike, I gave y'all a picture. We met at Abilene Christian University. He was the cutest guy I could find in Button 501. Fly jeans. And this is what happens a while later. He didn't want kids. Um, so he says that you can tell who the better negotiator is. I, I thought I'd be lucky if I got a kitten out of him. But we had been married about six months and we discovered that um, spot navy can cause people. And we found out that we were expecting Madison, this dark-haired one right here. We had her 15 months into a very brand-new marriage with an uber-yucky couple who was going to take 10 years to figure out the kid thing. And maybe we'd go to Europe and get pregnant after we'd been married for 10, 12 years and our careers were more where we wanted them and all of that. So we have Madison, and we literally learned real-time that God can do some amazing things in the unexpected. And God can put some joy and some path and some destiny into your life that you never expected. Mike says some of the most dangerous words in my vocabulary are, well, maybe just one more. Well, maybe just one more. And that, you know, was pretty effective up until we got to the seventh pregnancy and then discovered that maybe just one more was going to be two more. <laughs> and those are the twins. That's a big mercy. So Madison is 25. The girl in the hat is McKenna Jane. She's almost 22. That cute boy, and he's got a girlfriend. He didn't for a while. Every time I spoke, I was like, he's single. Well, the girls are single, by the way. Any nice farm boys, Christian farm boys out here? <laughs> I could send. 
This is just asking for a friend. He <laughs> desperately wants grandchildren and in love. Um, so Justice is 19, and Macy, the one next to him, is 17, almost 18. And Jairus, the one in the polka dot tie, is 14. And Journey, that little cutie, is 12. And the twins, Mercy and Jaken, are 8. And Mercy's older than Jake by 4 minutes. It's really important to her that you know that. <laughs> Very important. So those are the babies. That's where we are from. I'm from Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas. How many of you have heard this little group, Phillips, Craig, and Dean? Randy Phillips is our lead pastor, and it's my honor to serve with him. He is so supportive of all of the things and all of the dreams that we have brought to Life Austin, the things that we have hoped God would allow us to do, and it's, it's a great place to be. I got to meet Maureen down in Austin. She has a couple kids down there. We got to circle up at Panera Bread because I think that Panera Bread might just be the entrance to the tabernacle of God, especially when the bread first comes out of the oven. And so we got to meet there and break bread together and talk about her dreams for y'all and what this day would be. And having been on both sides of the equation, I do a lot of speaking, but I also do a lot of events at Life Austin where we're doing all the stuff that you guys have been doing. My hat is off to you, and I just want to take a minute to honor all of your team, Denise and you and I mean, just everybody who's been involved, you guys have been amazing. Can we just call them babies? It's just so beautiful. And you can't know until you've been hands-on in something the kind of level that it takes to pull something like this off. And so be sure and give them hugs today and let them know how much you appreciate everything that they've done to pull this all together. So one of the events that I help coordinate there in Austin, Texas, is called Immerse Austin. It's a women's event. And we've had a lot of fun with it in the years past. I have spoken at it several times. Anita Renfro, y'all familiar with Anita Renfro? Hilarious, she's come every year. She's just become a really dear acquaintance. I just love her. Lisa Turkers has spoken for us, Candace Cameron, Bure. We've had Mandisa. We've had this past year, um, Ellie Holcomb, who is just spectacular, such an amazing heart. So I was in the depths of getting this one planned. It was gonna happen in October. And you know, you do all your planning, right? You have all your little spreadsheets. There's always somebody that God gives in your team if you know where to look for them who actually is in love with Excel. Feed that girl. Love her. Take care of her. Any girl on your team that loves Excel, I want you to just nestle her up, please. So we had all of our planning all ready and all of our social media been running and we had this and that and blah, 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 blah. And I was driving back from a speaking event out of town and Pastor Randy texted me. This is 48 hours before Immerse. No, I take that back. It wasn't even 48, girls. I think it was 36 hours before Immerse. And he texts me and he says, in his typical Randy format, Tebow's coming, tell your women. <laughs> what? What? Tebow is coming, tell your women. So because I trust my lead pastor, I texted back, are you playing with me? <laughs> he texted back, no, Tim Tebow is coming. Randy has some interesting friends. So 36 hours before this event that we've already said that I'm going to speak and Owen Welcome's going to sing and the Rupert's going to make us laugh, all of a sudden, Tim Tebow is coming. Now this completely takes all of my poor girls who love Excel. It takes their Excel sheet and it goes, <laughs> and it just dumps it on the floor. So we, have, we are like real time, undoing all of our social media, redoing social media, calling the radio, Christian radio station in Austin, saying, uh, we're really not making this up. Tim Tebow's coming to Immerse. He's just going to be in town. I don't know. 
I don't know, Randy made a phone call. I don't know what happened. So we had to change a lot of different things. We had to change the flow of the evening, and we wanted to really honor what was going to work with his schedule, and he was coming in to do a favor, and it was like, okay. So we were very cautious. We didn't. We knew his time was going to be really short. We didn't want to overwhelm him with people trying. Because all of a sudden, we go from it's a women's event to now, holy, holy, outcome free. I mean, guys are showing up to come see Tim Tebow. And so he was wonderful. He is a dear man of God. Such a gorgeous walk. Such a witness, particularly in the world of athleticism that can be a very secular experience. So he came, and Pastor Randy interviewed him right at the top of Immerse, which was wonderful. Now, part of my story is that I also founded and run a nonprofit called Legacy of Hope Austin, and we have three different branches. We serve families with children with special needs, and one of those branches is called To Dance to Dream. So my daughter with the hat on, McKenna, is the director of To Dance to Dream, and what's been beautiful is that Immerse and To Dance to Dream have partnered through the years. So this becomes an opportunity for some of the students in our dance program to be able to perform at Immerse, which is a really beautiful thing for them to get to have that experience such a, in front of a really large crowd. And it also helps raise money for To Dance to Dream. So it's been this awesome symbiotic experience between the Immerse event and To Dance to Dream. Well, as many of you know, Tim Tebow has a foundation called the Tebow Foundation, and they actually do a prom for students with special needs called Night to Shine. So Tim finishes speaking, and I said, hey Tim, our To Dance to Dream kids are back here in the green room. Would you mind just saying hi to them real quick? He said, I'd be happy to. I thought, oh, this is going to be so cool. You know, he really is an advocate for the special needs community. We've got this program that's going to perform. This is going to be really cool. So we walk in, kind of an entourage of us, myself, he's with us, a couple of people from our lit agency. We're both represented by the same lit agency. And we walk in, and I look at the To Dance to Dream girls in their t-shirts, and I said, hey, girls, I have somebody I'd like for you to meet. And they all turn, and one of the girls screams at the top of her lungs and goes, ah! and goes running. And I'm like, get ready, Tim. She's kind of a big girl. And, and she goes running, and she runs right past him into the arms of Jackie, who some of y'all have met with, who has been helping coordinate on the Austin side for me to come, and screams, Taylor Swift is here! <laughs> She was so audacious. Nothing was going to hold her back when she thought that this personality had entered the room that she wanted to see and that she wanted to grab hold of. And she flew past Ted Tebow to go to this foe, Taylor Swift, in her audacious faith that she was going to get to experience something really incredible. And it was amazing for all of us to see that kind of expression of audacious faith. Because the rest of us, they had been all playing it cool, right? Hey, uh, Tubo, would you like some water? I mean, you know, we were all playing it cool. Pilar just lost her mind. It was awesome. She was audacious in her approach to Jackie. And it was so inspirational. When Marie told me that the theme for this weekend was going to be audacious faith, I said, oh, I love that word. Audacious. It's just got such a feel to it, doesn't it? It just speaks of something that is so big, something that is so off the rails, something that is so enthusiastic. And because I'm a word nerd and I love words, I had to dig into, okay, exactly 
what does it all mean? What is all of the, what are all the synonyms that come with this phrase audacious, this word audacious? And it can mean anything from a variety of just being brave or, or being, you know, explorational or being adventuresome. But the one that I really camp down in on that I love is that audacious really in its purest form means to be bold. Ooh, I love bold. Bold to me has a little bit different feel than brave. Brave means, well, I'm kind of scared, but I'm going to do it anyway, kind of thing, sort of. Bold to me just means like all the feathers are up. I'm just going for it. I'm just going to be bold in what I want to do. Stephen Furtick has this incredible quote in his book, Stand Still. Audacious faith is the raw material that authentic Christianity is made of. It's the stuff that triggers ordinary, level-headed people like you and me to start living with unusual boldness. For such a time as this, what a critical thing. Because I don't know if you've noticed but it is getting more and more politically incorrect for us to be bold about our faith. It is getting more and more societally sort of mm, unseemly to be really open about what you believe and to proclaim Jesus Christ. We're going to have to get audacious. We're going to have to get bold unless we want to be put on the mute button. And we are in serious danger of being put on the mute button. We don't learn how to be audacious. I want to encourage you, you can take notes. I brought this to you. I have a book coming out. It's actually in September. This is my ninth baby. This is the longest pregnancy I've ever had. <laughs> really long pregnancy. But on the back, you'll find a place that you can take notes. I'm going to be getting the email list, so I want to tell you all in this way, don't be frantic. I will send you all by email the quotes that I'm using, the scriptures. You're welcome to write, but I don't want you to feel like this is your one shot at this information. We're also recording this, and I will be sending out those podcasts so you have those as well. I'd be happy for you to take notes on this, and this is where you can find me so we can stay connected after this weekend. So what I want us to talk about this morning and into this afternoon is the ABCs of audacious faith. We're going to really deconstruct what that means, because gosh, I love that word. That's a big word. But because it's a big word, we need to put feet to it, don't we? How are we to be bold? In this season, how are we to walk out an audacious faith? Second Corinthians three twelve says, "Therefore, since we have such a hope, because we have such a hope in Jesus Christ, we are bold. If we've really grabbed hold of the hope that Jesus Christ brings, the natural fruit of that will be that we are bold, that we are audacious." But what I've noticed particularly when it comes to a population of women. I don't know that we've ever been trained how to be bold and what that really means. For a lot of us, we have a difficult time even approaching if somebody gives us the wrong order at a restaurant. We're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Remember how I said salad and you brought me the triple fried pork chops kind of thing? Um, don't you mind? Because for a lot of us, and I was raised by a southern mother, check this combination, in Southern California, which is all kinds of crazy. Uh, we were trained to be genteel and to be soft, and, and that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But I don't know that any of us are trained how to be bold. Now, some of us are scrappers by nature, and we think we're being bold. And in the second section, we'll be chatting about that, for really being bold and some other 
Hayward. And so, <laughs> speculating. But I think we need some training on what it means to live with audacious faith, particularly as women, particularly as women who don't want to seem hardened by the world or forceful or difficult. But there are approaches and actions that we can take that we can find in the Word of God that give us an example of what it means to walk out in audacious faith. There's a comedian that I enjoy. He's a Southern comedian, and he talks about a friend of his who this comedian loves a particular very vintage television show. His really good friend says, I don't understand that show at all. And the comedian says, how can you not understand this show? I mean, it's just so great, and the storytelling's great. It's just fun. And, and the friend says, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I've tried to watch it a bunch. I just don't get it. The comedian says, well, what don't you get? And he said, well, that planet they're always trying to get to, they never get there. And the comedian said, what are you talking about? He said, that planet. The comedian said, what planet? His friend said, you know, Boldigo. They never get to Boldigo. I have no Star Trek people in the room. None? Star Trek OS? What's the statement that Captain Kirk is right? To boldly go where no man has gone before. This friend was mysterious. He thought it was an actual place. How do I get to boldly go? Where is boldly go? Is it on the backside of Jupiter or should I hang a left at Neptune? Like he didn't know where boldly go was. And sometimes when we talk about audacious faith, we think it's some kind of destination place, some planet, some boldly go out there. And instead it's the journey. It's the journey of faith into which we carry this audacious boldness with us. I love this quote from Arnaud Desjardins. You cannot live sheltered forever without being exposed and at the same time be a spiritual adventurer to boldly go. Be audacious. Be crazy in your own way with that madness in the eyes of man that is wisdom in the eyes of God. Take risks. Search and search again. Search everywhere in every way. Do not let a single opportunity or chance that life offers pass you by. And do not be petty and mean, trying to drive a hard bargain. We can't stay in the place of super comfort and experience audacious faith. We cannot bubble wrap our experience and experience audacious faith. Because audacious faith is to boldly go into what God has next for us. Audacious faith is to take the journey of faith and experience fully and lean into what God brings into that path. We're going to look at four different ways that we activate audacious faith. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach approach God with freedom and confidence. There's a woman that I think that many of us can relate to, even if her story seems rather fantastical to us, when we really deconstruct it in the notion of audacious faith. And that's a young woman we learn about named Hadassah in the Old Testament. She was a slave girl of a slave race that had been taken into captivity. Her world, as far as she knew, was really going to just be about keeping her head down. Because when you're part of a slave race of a slave nation that's been pulled into a nation that has conquered you, your best defense, right, is to just keep your head down. Just don't call attention to yourself. Just keep your head down. Not a lot that's audacious in that. But Hadassah is presented 
with a really interesting and kind of bizarre opportunity, sort of a bachelor of the Persian kingdom kind of experience. A married at first sight, second sight, third sight kind of thing. She enters the court of King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus, because he's gotten tired of the old queen, Queen Vashti. And he's put her aside. He thinks she has some discipline problems. There's some interesting dialogue amongst Jewish scholars as to what Vashti's motive was. But for whatever reason, he puts her aside. And he decides to hold himself a big old beauty pageant. And Hadassah, being a beautiful girl, gets pulled into this beauty pageant. Now, she's an orphan. She's being raised by a man named Mordecai. And Mordecai tells her at the time, okay, girl, here's the thing. You're going to go to the beauty pageant, just keep your head down. Just don't really talk about what your background is, what your lineage is. Just kind of keep things on the down low. And so she goes through what sounds really not all that terrible, like months of being at the spa. Just, I don't know, right now that doesn't sound too bad. Although the whole six months with oils thing, I'm not really sure what that was about. She just basted, I'm not really sure. <laughs> she goes through this intensive beauty treatment and training. She makes a buddy with the guy who's kind of head of the spa. He gives her some really interesting instruction on how to walk into favor because she's going to go meet this king. And this king's going to pick one of these girls. And she's going to be the new Mrs. Persian. And so she goes through this training. She goes before him. We like to sanitize the story a lot. We like to make it seem like a great romance. But she goes before him, and she finds favor with him, and he chooses her out of all of these girls. And her family member who has raised her is still continuing to tell her, keep your head down, just keep your head down. The same, the same philosophy we've used all this time is a slave nation. Just keep your head down, just keep it up while you're there in the palace. Don't, don't rock the boat. Just shh. And she Alright. Had a little adventure. Got comfortable again. Woo! Nothing audacious about that. Feels good. It's good. <coughs> but it's about time for her to boldly go. And her people come under threat from Haman, one of the king's counselors. And he says he's going to, he, he seeks permission, and I don't know if the king was busy that day or listening to a podcast and really missed what Haman was saying, but he basically says, hey, I want to I go in and take out people. He, first he targets Esther, Hadassah's uncle, and then he targets her very people. He just wants to commit genocide. And I don't know why the king wasn't paying more attention to what was being spilled out here, but the king basically was like, sure, fine, what, what is Whatever keeps you happy, Haman. And so all of a sudden, Esther, who's been keeping her head down, just doing her thing, just, love you, God, God, you're great, keeping it quiet. All of a sudden, she gets thrown into a political intrigue, and not just a political intrigue over philosophy, but over people's very lives. And she's now going to be pulled into something upon which history could change. So this uncle, who's been telling her this whole time, now says, um, actually, change, change of plans. I need you to go approach the king. I need you to approach him on behalf of our people. One of the first places on the audacious Boligo journey is a willingness to approach. Approach. 
God in our lives, but we don't really approach him. We stand and sing the songs alongside people during praise and worship, but we don't view it as an approach into his very presence. How often do we pray and it's just a rote thing? It's just, hey God, great to see you, I need this, blah, 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 phone's ringing, hang on. Hey, praying, be back. How often are we just sort of going through the motion Maintaining, keeping our head down, not having that difficult conversation with someone we know isn't walking in faith, not going through that difficult wrestling in our own soul over questions we have and why is this going on? How often do we just let that sit and we don't actually approach God? Esther was aware of the issues. She was aware something needed to be done. She was aware that it would probably be safer for her, statistically much safer, for her to just stay right here. And yet she is called to be audacious. No one went into the presence of the king without his permission. You just didn't do that. It was to risk your very life. And you do realize that in the Old Testament, those who would try to go and approach God without going through the high priest, they were at risk of their lives. But when we really get hold of how audacious it is that God, that God created a pathway through Jesus Christ, that we can go into the throne room at will. We can seek him when we need to. That is audacious based on what the culture had always had, both in the Jews and in Persia, that, that Jesus would create a way that we actually can approach God. And yet, how often we choose not to approach him, to really go seek him. He tells us, if you would seek me, then you would find me. To be audacious enough to take Jesus up on what he did for us that we can approach. Esther has to work up some courage, doesn't she, to make this approach. Some of you have been lingering outside the courtroom of God for a long time. You really are scared to go all in. Because when you go all in, there are some things he's going to ask to die off of your life. So you wait. You hang outside the curtain. You don't want to risk the life of some things you hold dear. There are things he's probably going to ask to carve away. Can we be audacious enough, bold enough, to truly God. Can we be audacious enough to let praise and worship become something that we see as we walk through the door, through the presence? Can we be audacious enough to have real prayer time with God? And to listen and to rest there in His presence? Can we be audacious enough to keep the radio off when we're driving? And approach him in heartfelt approach. So Esther does find the courage. She does become audacious enough to approach King Xerxes. The second thing she's now going to do to be audacious in her faith. 
That baby Jake, the one I showed you, this little guy, he's so weird. <laughs> he's such a great kid. He's really strange. He's so he likes father. Um, he is the he is just amazing, like genius level, Einstein level for excuses about bedtime. It's really phenomenal. I've been parenting a long time, but he still dazzles me. He really. The other night I was saying, okay, Jake, come on, Jake, like, you know, really, like. I'm already not mom of the year because it's already you know 10:50, and I think I just let you eat four cookies. Really, we gotta we gotta step up. He's like, oh, mom, I just need this. Oh, mom, I just need one more. Mom, I just need. And then he stops and he goes, um, okay, mom, I, I I will. I'm gonna go to bed. But um, oh, here's the thing. I'm worried. I think my uvula is moving forward. <laughs> No one has ever pulled out the uvula position <laughs> excuse for me as a bedtime reason to not be heading to. I, I was frank that I was dazzled. You can tell he's right. It's like your, your uvula, your, your, your uvula is moving forward. I didn't post it on social media, although I post a lot of funny Jake stories because I figured that's one that if, if people don't have good biology backgrounds, they're going to think I'm saying something I am not saying. You give us a thing in the back of your throat by the way. You know what Jake does in all of that? He really doesn't ask me. He's really not audacious enough to ask me what he really wants. And what he really wants is, I really want to stay up till 3 in the morning playing video games. That's what I really want. Can I stay up till 3 in the morning playing video games? And so he comes up with all these creative ways of saying all this creative stuff instead of just asking me what he really wants. We see Esther do a similar thing. Some of what she does has some wisdom. Some of it is she's just having to work up the courage. And for us, often, that is how we are as we begin this audacious faith with God. We finally develop the boldness to really begin to approach him. And now, we have something we want to ask him, something we're believing for. And we kind of work into it. Esther does it. Hi, King, here to risk my life, approach the friend room. Hi, how you doing? Great haircut, by the way. And so here's the thing. Um, I've gone through all of this because I just wanted to see if you could come to dinner. He says, all right. Comes to dinner. Gets to dinner. Could you come for dinner again? Like, like, like you got him. He's there. You did it. And she can't ask him. She's having to work up being audacious enough to ask him for what she really needs. Part of it, she's building a case, but part of it, I think she's still grappling with, how do I do this? How can I be audacious in this moment? How can I be bold in this moment for my people? Because she's going to ask him to save her people. That's what she's going to ask him for. She already knows what she wants. Often when we start wanting to walk in deeper closeness <laughs> to God, we struggle to approach, and then once we get there, we struggle to really we're afraid we're going to be disappointed. Maybe we have approached before, and maybe we have asked, and it didn't turn out the way we wanted. And so it just smacks us back, and those, those moments of audacious faith just kind of fall off the lapel again. So when we come into this moment that we can ask, I think so much about what Jesus did several times with different people. You can see one example of it in Matthew 20, 32. 
What a pivotal question. Jesus is approached by two blind men. And this crowd has been rebuking him because they've been saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. That sounds like a great ask, right? Lord, have mercy on us. But Jesus stops. And he calls out to them, what do you want me to do for you? What a powerful question. They probably thought that there was a question embedded in them saying, Lord, have mercy on us, right? But I think Jesus wants us to know, what exactly are you asking me for? What exactly are you asking me for? Because I think he wants us to own who he wants us to own. And when they say, well, we want our sight. All right. All right, then. Some of us ask things like this, God, fix my marriage. What do you want me to do for you? Because what if fixing your marriage is about Jesus fixing something in you? Not that guy who's got all 27 channels of ESPN memorized. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Well, Jesus, I just want to do big things for you. But what do you want me to do for you? You want to do big things for me? <laughs> All right, you little girl. There may be some things that we got to work on in you. Some things you're going to have to lay down. Some ways of thinking you're going to have to go away. I think we get scared to make the ask. I think we get scared to make the ask because some of us know what the ramifications of that ask can mean. But for Esther to be able to intercede appropriately for her people, she had to ultimately make the ask, didn't she? Ultimately, it was going to be critical that she identified who she really was and what her background really was and really ask the king, I'm asking you to save my people. I'm asking. And then she owns all of it, right? All of her background, all of what this has meant, all of the story she owns. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. To be audacious in our faith, we have to be honest in our ask. I do it. I don't think I'm alone. How many of us craft stories for God? I got my concern about my uvula. Let's move forward. We craft dialogues and narratives for God, don't we? Because we're still operating out of this sense that we've got to kind of prove something to him, or maybe he's unaware of what's going on. He's real busy, so he probably doesn't realize that I'm reading stuff I shouldn't be reading, listening to stuff I shouldn't be listening to, thinking thoughts I shouldn't be thinking, spreading information I don't need to be spreading. So maybe he hasn't really noticed that, and I just pray he's really... God, I just pray that you send missionaries and you just blah, 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 blah. What do you want him to do for you? Audacious enough to be honest, to be clear, to be concise, to own our communication <coughs> with him. Now the third part of what Esther teaches us about audacious faith is she approaches the king she ultimately gets clear on her ask, 
and then she acts. Now, this is a part of Esther's story that usually doesn't make it into the romance novels and the rewrites and on and on and on. This girl is, has gone from being kind of this hidden girl of Jewish lineages <laughs> hiding in the court as a favored, you know, trophy wife of King Ahasuerus. She moves from that to becoming like the ultimate warrior queen. Y'all want to read the last couple chapters of the book of Esther? They're in there. We skip them. She and Mordecai develop a plan, and they not only wipe out Haman and all of his people, this archenemy of Mordecai, they go in and create a day. I think this would go through Congress. They create a day that the Jews can make war on those who have been oppressing them. Hey, Esther, that doesn't seem very friendly. I, I, I'm really floored when I really look at the scope of her career as queen. Because she's more than just the girl who was able to, in a really spiritual way, seduce the king and make him interested in her. She's more than just the girl who finally figures out how to approach the king. She's more than just the girl who's bold enough to ask for the lives of her people. She actually then goes, and they act upon it in a way that requires an uncommon, audacious faith to release the Jewish people from oppression. It's where we get the festival of Purim from in Orthodox Judaism is this celebration of when those oppressors of the Jews, the Jews received permission for a day to wipe out as many of them as they could. She acted on what had been granted to her through her ask. Now, I'm not promoting that we all, like, pony up, get a plane, and go take out ISIS together. I'm not <laughs> saying that's the natural extension of this audacious faith moment. But what I am saying is it's going to require some action on our part to walk in audacious faith. We get so stuck, don't we? We approach God, we make the ask, and then we won't take the action. Okay, God, I'm approaching the throne. My marriage is really coming apart. Okay, God, I'm going to be bold, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be concise. God, our marriage is, is messed up, and whatever you tell me, whatever you direct me to do, I, I will do. I will do. I'm asking you to be part of this. And then we won't pick up the phone and call the marriage counselor. We won't pick up the phone and say, honey, can you come home? Let's have a conversation. I apologize for my part in this train wreck. We won't act. And you know what we call it? Oh, we call it waiting for God. Look, part of what the apostles teach us, and they were audacious in the first century, they had nothing to gain in this world. They had everything to lose in this world by being audacious in their following Jesus Christ. They went ahead and just tried stuff, assuming God had their backs. Judas commits suicide. They decide they need a 12th disciple to take his place. And in the book of Acts, see how they do it? Dice. To see who's going to be the guy. It turns out he's really not the guy. Paul's going to be the guy. But they acted. And God can do a course correction if he needs to. How many times is Paul like, so it seemed good to us that we would go here, and God's like, that's cute, shipwreck, but no, no. But he was willing to act on it. <coughs> well, Julie, I, I would. I mean, I would call the marriage counselor, but what if it's the wrong marriage counselor and it just doesn't work? God can course correct. Well, Julie, I would go ahead and take the first step to apologize, but you don't know. I mean, I feel like I've tried that before and it hasn't worked. 
then God can course correct. Act. For some of us, one of the craziest, boldest things we can do is to actually step out once we've gone through the approach and we've gone through the ask, is to actually act. To be audacious enough to take that step and to watch what God might do next. And then this fourth thing that Esther teaches us that is so powerful about the activity of audacious faith. My husband Mike, several years ago, we were living in Oklahoma, and he was part of a really great prayer group that met. And that prayer group was really important. We came out of a more quiet denominational background, a more reserved denominational background. And we were both longing to learn more about what it meant to just kind of have all that off and to see who God really wanted us to be before him. Not based on necessarily the traditions, even though we were raised in some really beautiful and great traditions. Just to really make sure we were embracing what God wanted us to be <coughs> before him. Before traditions. And so this particular prayer group was great for Mike. Because, man, these guys were off the wall. Woo! I mean, they, <laughs> they taught Mike all kinds of things. He learned what a really joyful expression for the Lord can look like. He learned about praying bold, bold prayers. He learned about speaking things and, and being in Scripture really powerfully and really digging in. And these guys were in each other's lives, and it was great. It was really great. Well, they sometimes would have different people come in to speak or lead the devotional. And this particular day, a guy came in that was known for having big faith, audacious faith. And so Mike was very curious how the prayer meeting was going to go and what was going to be. And they were lifting up some different issues. And this particular guy, a guest to this group, goes into this posture of prayer and says, Now, God, we've told you what we need. Now you do it. Mike said, I felt myself like going up against the wall waiting for the lightning bolt to come down. What Esther teaches us about audacious faith is there is an appropriateness that we have to carry before God. Having audacious faith is not about bossing God around. It's not about manipulating God and going through some steps to try to get him to do things your way. If Esther had walked into King Ahasuerus like, yo, king, stinking, uh, got these people we need to save. What do you think the response of Ahasuerus would have been? Now, God always responds to us with grace and forgiveness and that he sees us through Jesus Christ. But we can never forget that he is God in heaven. And here am I on earth. He is the father. I am the daughter. He is the king. I said I will be his servant. To appropriately go before God is to embrace all the holiness of who he is. Yes, he is our friend. And how incredible that we are able to call him friend. But we don't get to boss him around. And we don't get to critique him. And we don't get to tell him how we think it should be. Audacious faith says, God, I'm going to approach you. I'm going to clearly ask. I'm going to act. And I'm going to assume that you can course correct if I step out of the way that you want me to go. But God, I do all of this understanding that you are God in heaven. And I've been able to enter this throne room because of your grace and your mercy and your favor. 
where I see people get off the track when it comes to living with audacious faith, when it comes to living boldly, is they're either scared or they've gone so far to the other side they have forgotten reverence for God. I'm in my one-year Bible right now. And I'm in the wild with Leviticus. Does Leviticus get longer every year? I just have to ask. Feels like maybe there's a re-edit. I'm like, did they have like four more chapters? But what strikes me in Leviticus, and I know it's coming in further chapters in first and second Kings and the first and second Chronicles, is people who got cocky and they forgot about how to be appropriate in approaching God. Aaron's sons decided to just build it, you know, to burn some incense in the old way. And God takes them out for it. I think about the guys transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and they don't do it God's way. And our faithful, gracious, merciful God takes them out for it. Because he's mean? No. Because he is holy. We are blessed that we have this buffer of Jesus Christ. We are blessed that we have his blood through which we approach. But we better never forget what it costs for us to have that kind of access. And never forget the reverence of a holy God. Esther demonstrates that for us in her audaciousness to approach a king, to ask a king, and then to act upon what she receives, she never forgets to be appropriate in that audacious faith. We're going to be unpacking a couple more, the B and the C of the ABCs of audacious faith in our next couple of sessions. Let's close this one out for now in prayer. Father, we confess that we are sometimes timid when it comes to being bold for you. Father, sometimes it's putting the opinions of others above your way. Sometimes it is feeling ill-equipped, feeling like we don't have the right background to step into something bigger. Sometimes, Father, we've just been lurking around the outskirts of your throne room. Because we know when we walk in, just like Isaiah experienced, we know we will be exposed to the uncleanness that we have. But, Father, may we never forget that in that moment, Jesus Christ completely cleanses us. Father, give us the right perspective on what an honor it is you have given us access to you. Father, let us pray different kind of ask prayers. An ask that is clear. Clear about what we want to see you do in our lives. Concise. Honest. And Father, make us audacious enough to Lord, in all of it, in all of it, in all of it, may we honor you and approach you with all of the reverence and the awe that is due. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Am I on? Yes, I am. Um, so we have at the the little doors into the kitchen area, we've got some little muffins and some little mini cinnamon rolls. If you would like to have some, we've got a break, got plenty of time to go to the bathroom.